It's your Wednesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day. Should have plenty of time to listen to a podcast today as you shovel, blow snow, all sorts of stuff. If you're in the same boat as me with kids, you're going to be uh, watching uh, watching that as you work all week. I'm here in Minneapolis, and we've got e-learning, distance learning for the next three days as we uh, prepare for and already uh, dig out from the uh, the winter storm that has just begun and is already ongoing. But, you know, fortunately, we've got all the stuff we need right here, and you've got all the stuff you need right here. You're already listening to this podcast and a good one coming up today. Andrew Kramer from the Star Tribune will join me here in just a few minutes to talk about the Vikings. Haven't talked to him since Brian Flores was introduced as the defensive coordinator for the Vikings last week. Wanted to get Andrew's thoughts on his introductory news conference and just the significance of the hire in general, what it might mean for the Vikings defense, their personnel, who they might pursue in free agency in the draft, things of that nature. So looking forward to sharing that conversation with you in just a little while. Got some thoughts here on Minnesota United in a little bit. And uh, in just a moment, too, I've got some thoughts on Patrick Royce's excellent column uh, talking to Clem Haskins, the former Gophers basketball coach, and comparing things now to when Clem was just starting out and having a hard time getting things going with the Gophers. First, though, what did I miss? Three important takeaways I had from the wild seven-game homestand that just wrapped up last night with a big 2-1 to win over the Kings. I wanted to share those three things with you right now. Number one, first and foremost, Philippe Gustafsson started his third game in a row for the Wild on uh, Tuesday in that important 2-1 to win over the Kings. Almost a shutout. Uh, the Kings got a goal with like 20 seconds left to spoil that shutout bid, but Gustafsson excellent in net again, turned away 33 out of 34 shots was in position almost all the time, which is one thing you can really appreciate about him. And, uh, you know, just a solid goalie, a, a guy who, you know, will, you know, will give up a goal every now and then, of course, like every goalie does, but doesn't seem to be phased by that and does not seem to be out of position. And, you know, from the start of the year when he arrived in the Cam Talbot trade, it almost seemed like a, a throw-in, almost like a backup. Hey, you get, you're going to have to have a second goalie Wow, you got to get something back in the Cam Talbot trade when that split happened to now when the big takeaway for me from the the, the number one out of the three takeaways for me from this homestand is that Philippe, Philippe Gustafsson was already trending towards making me believe he was playing like the number one goalie on this team. Now, that's not to say that's how the coaches think about it. That's not to, to say that's going to be how it is at the end of the year. But let's just listen to where we are at now with Gustafsson and Marc-Andre Fleury, the other veteran goalie for the Wild. Since November 19th, you know, about a month, a little more than a month into the season, when Gustafsson started to emerge, started to play much better than he had at the start of the year. It wasn't terrible at the start of the year, but he was struggling a little bit just like Fleury was. Since November 19th, Gustafsson has played 20 games. Fleury has played 22 Gustafson has 19 decisions, Fleury has 21, so a pretty even split since November 19th. That's a pretty long span of time. That is, what, uh, three months, essentially, right? Because we're talking about, you know, one and a half months of uh, of the last half of 22 and, and a little, almost two months now. But yeah, but, but, but about three months total, a little over three months total, that these guys have been pretty much an even split. And here are the numbers on Gustafson. 14, 4, and 1. 
937 save percentage in that span. And let's talk about Marc-Andre Fleury now in that same span. 10, 9, and 2 with a nine with an 898 save percentage since November 19th. So the goalies have been even in terms of games played. They have not been even in terms of the play of their games. Um, now, it's not always fair to just look at the raw data, the raw statistics, because when you do have someone designated more or less as your number one goalie, Flurry may have drawn some of the tougher opponents in that stretch, may have drawn, you know, matchups that that you know Dean Evison said, I want, I want Flurry in this game. And so you, you gotta take that into consideration. That said, we're starting to see now Gustafson playing multiple games in a row, playing good opponents. I mean, the Wild just got done with a three-game stretch against pretty good teams, and Gustafson won all three of those starts. Um, you know, playing against Dallas, Nashville, the Kings, you know, teams that the Wild are battling against for playoff position, battling against in the West, and Gustafson had the the confidence of his coaches to play those games, gave up just five goals in those three games, including just one in a couple of those efforts. Um, you know, the game before that that he started, he was very good on this whole homestand, by the way, um, you know, playing very well on this homestand in his, in his five starts. He went four and four zero oh, and one four four wins and a shootout loss where he only gave up one goal in regulation, gave up just six eight goals in those five games. So an awfully good home stretch for Gustafsson. Now, what does that mean for the big picture? Well, it's still a long season, but if the playoffs started today, the Wild would be in the playoffs. And I'll get to that in a minute. If they play, if the playoffs started today, Philippe Gustafsson to me would be a net in game one. And that's a far cry from where I thought they'd be at the start of the year. It's a far cry from where um, I'm imagining the Wild thought they might be positioning themselves. And it might be a far cry from the reality in a month or two when the, when the playoff starts. But right now, he is playing like the number one goalie. That doesn't mean he is necessarily, like I said, in the minds of the coaches, but they're starting to play him now like the hot hand, but also like a guy that they, they that they trust in these big situations. And if he keeps playing at this level, if he keeps outperforming or you know playing at the level that he is as Marc-Andre Fleury, keeps playing better than Marc-Andre Fleury, I don't see how you can not decide that he is the guy that you want in, in goal in the playoffs. And that doesn't mean, again, like that's going to be the same thing. Goalies get hot. You know, we had Capo Kakinen had some hot stretches the last couple of years. They decided that he wasn't the solution long term and, and, and ended up trading him. So there's a lot that can happen still in that time frame. What I'm saying is right now, Philippe Gustafsson's playing like the number one goalie, and that is a big continued development in this homestand that only was exacerbated. Number two on this homestand, Ryan Hartman. I talked about the Wilds' lack of scoring from sources other than Kirill Kaprizov had talked about their lack of scoring in five on five and they're still not generating a ton of offense but Ryan Hartman four goals during that seven game home stretch including two big ones against the Kings both of the goals last night in that game um, all of them at even strength looking like more like the player that scored you know in the 30s last year he still just has nine on the season you know part of that's he missed some time this year Looks like he's getting his confidence back, although Dean Evison was asked if he's playing looser, and I thought this this exchange was uh, was humorous after the game on uh, on Tuesday. Um, does he seem looser? I don't know. Hartsy's kind of a ordinary bugger, right? So you don't really know. But um, no, I mean he's. You could go through our group, right? You could talk about our group being that way. We were really tight. 
um, you know, when you're not scoring and all that stuff, and we didn't have some success, and it, it wears on, you know, certainly wears on leaders and guys like that, uh, maybe a little bit more, um, you know, that he wants to make a difference. So, um, but his, uh, we haven't noticed anything except, uh, you know, his work ethic, his drive has uh, continued to be real good. Now, maybe he's not necessarily playing looser, but he's definitely playing, I, can, I think, with more confidence. You get, you know, you get some bounces. He had one bounce in off of him the other day. You start to get some of those breaks, and suddenly you get your confidence up. You start shooting the puck better, and he scored two nice ones on, on Tuesday and really giving the Wild a little bit of supplemental offense beyond, beyond the power play, scoring at 5-on-5, five five, scoring in the flow of play. Got to have those goals, too. I know special teams are huge once you get to the postseason, but you got to be able to score 5-on-5. Five five. The reemergence of Ryan Hartman on this homestand was a huge deal. Number three, just flat out, their playoff position. They started out this homestand struggling. They uh, they they lost three of the four games uh, to begin this homestand. One of them was a shootout loss, so they got a point at least, but they only had three points in the first four games of this homestand. was looking like things were going to ter- take a big, sour turn. But then these last three games, again, all of them Gustafson start, they get the win in all three, so they finish the homestand 4-2-1, and one, a much better place to be on that homestand, a much better feeling about themselves, reestablish themselves in the playoff race, firmly in that wild card spot right now, ahead of Calgary, still you know in line to maybe get to, you know get the top three spot in their division, you know get in in a in a better way there, but really solidified their spots with these last three wins, and that is important too because you could not come out of this homestand feeling like you were still chasing points like they've been. So that was a huge development as well. Let's talk just for a couple minutes about Patrick Royce's excellent column. Uh, called up Clem Haskins the other day, obviously the former Gopher coach. He's going to be 80 this summer. Um, just some interesting perspectives. Um, one thing I didn't realize or remember, at least, that Clem was just 6-30 and 30 in his first two years in the Big Ten coaching the Gophers. Big Ten was really tough back then. I think, this, I think the Big Ten is still very good. Ben Johnson, 5-30 and 30 in the Big Ten so far in his young coaching career. Obviously, different times, different eras, but an interesting parallel there. And uh, uh, Patrick quoted Clem talking a little bit about that. He said, I feel for him, talking about Ben Johnson. You can tell he's a motivated coach. He coaches hard. He just doesn't have enough players that are ready to win. It takes time. When we started, everybody in the Big Ten was better than us. He's in the same situation. Absolutely. That's that's the biggest thing I can take away from the Gophers right now is that they just don't have the players right now. They haven't had a chance to recruit up and get guys in here that are of the caliber that can beat other teams on a consistent basis. Not to say they don't have talent. They just don't have enough talent right now. Now, the other big takeaway was, is this a parallel truly throughout uh, throughout their coaching careers or or how different are things now? And I think Clem articulated that very well, too. Uh, basically, talking about how much the transfer portal changes things now. When you were back then, you had a chance to kind of you know have guys play for two, three, four years and then get better, improve as a group. And that's what Clem's team did, almost making it to the final four after being six and 30 in those first two years, almost going to the final four in year four, getting to the regional final, losing by two to Georgia Tech. And here was Clem's thoughts on coaching today. He said, I hate to be out there in it as a coach. You get your guy as a freshman. He works. You coach. You pump yourself up that you've brought this team together, and a good player just leaves. That would kill me. What I put Willie Burton through, extra drills in the morning, 
and what he did for us as a player, those games when he carried us. If a player like Willie left, I don't know what a coach would do. Absolutely. That's just a that's just a great articulation of what it must be like to be a coach right now. And I don't think coaches right now can plainly talk about that because they're trying to, you know, manage their rosters right now. They don't want players thinking about how they're thinking, but a former coach talking about how the transfer portal impacts the entire program, how this impacts how you build a team. And again, it cuts both ways, right? Ben Johnson can bring in players in the portal too. He's not just having to lose players in the portal, but I will say this as a final thought on this subject. We talked about this the other day. It is so much harder now to pull yourself out of the bottom part of college basketball because if you don't have good seasons, all of a sudden these players that you brought in that you thought you could build up and build up and build up, that the building process can be curtailed so much faster now because of the transfer portal and again I'm not saying it's a bad thing that players have freedom and decisions that's not what I'm saying I am saying it does impact programs and I think it disproportionately impacts programs that are struggling because they look at another program if they're a good player who's had a good season on a team that's struggling another team might want that player and they might enter the portal and boom next thing you know they're on another team right away they can play right away there's no real repercussions there's no real waiting period there's nothing really really to think about other than hey i could go win and play here right now instead of building this thing up here right now so that to me is the challenge for ben johnson more than more than clem haskins back then can he have that year where he he makes that big leap even though there's the temptation for players in the transfer portal right now that'll be ben johnson's biggest struggle and uh, and and what he'll need to overcome more than Clem Haskins had to back in the day. And I'll be interested to see if he can do that because right now he just doesn't have the players. Can he keep enough of the good players right now and add to that without them all leaving before he has a chance to turn this thing around? Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's bring on Andrew Kramer right now. Covers, of course, the Vikings for the Star Tribune. And Andrew, I have not talked to you since, um, at least not for the podcast, since Brian Flores was introduced as the Vikings' new defensive coordinator. That was last week. And I was pretty impressed with the depth of a lot of his answers. And I thought a lot of what he had to say was interesting. And I did go through some of those on a show last week. But Andrew, I'm interested in your perspective on kind of anything that Flores said that gives us any kind of like clues breadcrumbs whatever it is 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 in terms of a not just what he wants to run but how that might fit who's on the roster already and what they might be thinking about um as you know as we get closer to the draft free agency the combine is now coming up very soon things like that yeah i think it's when brian flores uh, being introduced to tco performance center just mentioned i'm naturally aggressive yes (laughs) that was obviously the topic a lot of media in the room wanted to know um, because that was the the tension behind the scenes, or that that's what was talked about um, in the coaches' rooms uh, and outside of it um, with Kevin O'Connell, because he wanted that defense to be more aggressive. He wanted guys um, like Patrick Peterson to be able to play downhill a little bit more. Harrison Smith. He wanted the more pressures, more blitzes, at least more 
we heard players, even veteran players like Jordan Hicks talk about, they wanted more simulated pressures. Like let's at least show that we're going to, you know, fake some of these things to at least make them think twice as an offense. Um, They just felt like they were too passive and made it too easy. So fast forward to Flores and everybody wants to know, right? How aggressive are you going to be? Are you going to be the same that you were? And I believe he was asked about his defenses in Miami when he was the head yeah. coach there for three years. And he was asked about, was that man coverage heavy blitz heavy defense something you want to do is that a philosophy and a tenant for you or is that something that just fit what you had in Miami and I believe that's when the line came out and he said I'm naturally aggressive so th- yeah. that's what I'm sure that's what sold Kevin O'Connell on putting him near the top of the list as defensive coordinator um it's what has people thinking high hopes about a former head coach coming in here to run this defense when you've got some very capable if not aging uh, veterans in this group that can get things done if they're put in the right position. And, and I think we saw that at times last year. So when Brian Flores comes in and says that he was a little hesitant to even give that up, but when right. he comes in and says that, I think that's what Vikings fans should want to hear. Well, absolutely. And that, now the the question becomes then, is that better for any of the, the current players? Does it suit any of the current players more than others? I mean, you mentioned, a lot of those veterans, Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith, a guy like Eric Kendricks, guys who we have questions about, like, are they going to be on the roster in 2023? Or are those decisions they make where they're like, ah, I think we can get younger, faster. It's time to move on at that point. Because, you know, I think Mike Zimmer's defense was certainly more aggressive than the Ed Donatel defense that we saw. But the Vikings weren't exactly a great defensive team in 2020 or 2021. I think they were probably better in a lot of cases than than the Donatel defense, but they still had a lot of the same issues with getting after the quarterback with you know with with defending in the back half of the field with with their secondary so given that how much personnel do you think is already there and how much how much would a guy like Eric Kendricks or Harrison Smith or any of these other kind of veterans who make a lot of money how how much would a more you know would a more aggressive system benefit them at this point in their career yeah, th- those are questions that Brian Flores probably has already answered to Kevin O'Connell. One thing that stood out to me from Kevin's portion of this press conference was Kevin said personnel was a topic in the hiring process when they were interviewing candidates. Okay. Surely he was asking these candidates, what do you think about the pieces we have? What can be done to salvage X, Y, or Z? Or, or what do we need to do to repair and retool that roster? And Brian Flores is the only one who's going to have and is going to be the leading voice in some of those answers, along with Quase Adolfo Mensa, Mike Pettin, who's still under contract and still there as an assistant head coach, as a defensive mind. Those groups are going to have to come together. Those minds come together and figure out, okay, is Eric Kendricks and the fact that he's been injured uh, toward the end of these last few seasons, last year was the hip injury. He was not the same after he suffered a hip injury. I think it was the first time against the Giants. We saw him kind of stumble down the stretch and then got beat a bunch in that playoff loss. Is that who he is now? Can we not trust him for 17 games and beyond because he's over 30? Um, or did, did Jordan Hicks show enough to maybe replace him as that veteran and we keep him under contract and let Brian Osamoa take that next step in? Same questions for guys like Harrison Smith, who's not that injured, but really had shown a vulnerability at times to get tripped up in coverage, look lost. Um, I don't know how much, too, of Harrison Smith and what he was showing was a really odd freedom that he seemed to have at Ed Donatel's defense, where Donatel admitted and said in press conferences that I would just tell him sometimes, just scan the quarterback and just react and go. Well, 
I know Mike Zimmer certainly gave him that freedom at times in certain structures of their defenses before, but there were times that Harrison would be like reading a quarterback's eyes running and then getting caught up and tripped up by a crosser that would beat him on the other side. That happened in the playoff. Game. It did. Yeah. I remember that. Um, now, is that just an odd situation he's put in where it's not structured enough and Harrison's just getting kind of duped by overthinking things and whatnot? And how much of that can be fixed by putting him in better positions? And, and those are fair questions for Patrick Peterson, who was an aging guy who can he transition to what has been a very man heavy defense under Brian Flores? Um, Patrick talked about being older, running less in a zone defense. Maybe that was just because that's who was coaching him at the time. But he said, I think this is better for me last year in the zone defense. Well, now is he going to be okay to, to transition back? And he tweeted as soon as the Brian Flores news was out there, he tweeted that like it was like a lock emoji with him in a Vikings jersey or something. So if if he, he certainly seemed to like the Brian Flores move, but Peterson becoming a free agent, can they afford him? Do they want him at the price he might command? Um, these are all legitimate questions. And the one, if I had to guess and just put on my analysis hat, I would think that a guy like Harrison Smith can be used so much differently than what he was used at uh, by Ed Donatel. Cause he was just put in these shell structures and just kind of told to stay back And so much of what we know about Harrison is that he can just disrupt around the line of scrimmage. And you got to know, you got to wonder, did they waste some of those years of him? You know what he had left. Did they waste those years kind of putting him back there or can he still do that? Yeah, that's a good question. I did. I do remember Flores, saying at one point he thinks a lot of those players are already in the building and maybe that's just you know him saying him saying nice things about you know the players they have under contract things like that but i did think that was interesting from from his from his news conference too but you know they also <clears throat> talked about you know this is going to be about production more than anything it's not going to be about certainly they're going to talk about cultural fit stuff like that but at the end of the day you got to be able to play <clears throat> and they're not going to keep guys who can't play anymore. And I'm really curious. I, I'm, obviously, the decisions they make will tell us, by and large, what they're thinking. You know, at least in terms of who they're able to get in free agency, what moves they make to free up cap space, things like that. But I will be interested. To, we'll we'll know pretty soon. I think how how they're thinking, what they thought about the defense, whether they thought a lot of it was coaching, whether they think it's a lot of scheme and stuff like that or if they think it's a lot of its personality personnel or if they think it was a little bit of both last season and i wouldn't be shocked if it's a little bit of both and they've got enough contracts coming off the books enough free agents coming up enough guys that they can move on from you know when i mentioned eric hendricks uh it's because they can free up nine and a half million dollars by moving on from him and not leave too much dead money there zadarius smith is 12 million they can free up and not leave too much dead money um harrison smith that is a contract that actually is movable, um, even if they would have to incur quite a bit of dead money to move on from him. And the point is, is that these contracts are movable and they've got Dalvin Tomlinson coming off the books. They've got Patrick Peterson coming off the books. They could bring some of those guys back, but they can also replace six, seven, eight yeah. starters in this defense by next year. And right. some of those could be filled with the young guys who are coming in last year's draft picks, guys that they are looking to step up. Um, but Mike, I wouldn't be shocked if it's free agents we're talking about, draft picks, um, a lot of new personnel just to even compete for depth spots as well. I want to get into some of those free agents in a minute, but first I do want to ask you like how much harder do those decisions become, especially in the secondary, because so many of those guys that you would have wanted to get a look at last year were hurt, like Lewis Seen, Andrew Ruth Jr., even Caleb Evans to a large degree with the concussion problem. Like 
the three guys that you probably would be thinking about, you know, job wise in 2023, you didn't get much of a sample size from any of them. And, you know, and I don't know how, how great the sample size was once when you did get it. Yeah, I actually did this um, after the season. I sat down and tried to look at how many rookie snaps they got on offense and defense and looked at every team uh, as well to compare the snaps overall, just to see what kind of development they got this year and how low it is, obviously. Um, And only the Panthers had as few rookies play at least 200 snaps on offense or defense as the Vikings. The Vikings had just one in Ed Ingram, and it didn't go too well. (laughs) So even the one they got coming back, they got to hope he can take a big step. But you're right. It's the secondary. It was Lewis Cena. It was Andrew Booth Jr. It was a Caleb Evans. I talked to a Caleb after the season. And his the the strides he's going to try to make in his first real NFL offseason, it it was a weird plan they had for him. But I guess it was all encompassing. It was a new helmet he's going to wear next year because he had three concussions. He's talked to Patrick Peterson about how to adjust his tackling. He worked with the strength coach about trying to build up kind of different muscles in his neck to prevent his head from whiplashing back the way that it did. Um, they built these plans for individual players and these rookies to try to get them on the field. It's just a matter of what are you going to get out of them? And you don't know because you just didn't get to see it uh, this past year. And you're right. That complicates this so much because Quase and Brian Flores have to come in and look at this roster and assess what they have and really project. Not only do we have to project what new players are going to give us, we have to project what many of these young guys are going to give us as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, part of that, when you speak about brand new guys, let's talk about the scouting combine because that's coming up very soon. And, you know, this is just an, an early look for them to get, you know, some some better eyeballs on some of these guys. And, and you know, to your point before we started recording here to to maybe start some of those free agent conversations because there's a lot of agents milling around. There's a lot of chatter that happens at this at the combine that that you know maybe is not official official, but it is a set laying groundwork for a lot of things that are to come in March. Yeah, and I would say too, there are a lot of free agents who are bracing uh, Vikings free agents who have spent some time here, who really kind of built out friendships and a little bit of a second home here, from Garrett Bradbury to Alexander Madison. Um, Shannon Sullivan was only here a year, but uh, wants to stay here. These guys are preparing to be told, hey, we can't offer you much or we don't want to offer you much. Uh, Alexander Madison has been on trading discussions for two years. He is well aware that he's probably moving on. Garrett Bradbury said, I'm going to go to the front office and tell them how much I want to be here just to make it clear. But would you be shocked if if they looked elsewhere? No. Um, I thought he made strides, but... Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see a new regime want to restart on a really struggling interior offensive line still. So um, they, they've got a lot of guys. Dalvin Tomlinson's the one we mentioned before, and I wouldn't be surprised if he might be a priority among that group. Um, Patrick Peterson's the other big name in terms of the free agents, but Dalvin Tomlinson really showed something, I thought, as, as a fit for that 3-4 that Brian Flores is still going to run. Um, Brian Flores, though, is... is the veteran defensive mind um, as he is was asked straight up a four, three or three, four. And he said, depends on which game or he said, what, what week are you who talking are we playing? About? Yeah. Yeah. Who are we playing? Thank you. And, and that's obviously that's smart because Mike Zimmer ran hybrid fronts when he was here uh, at Donatel really didn't mix it up that much. And so to have a guy come in and say that this is going to be a multiple defense, that's what Bill Belichick hangs his hat on. That's what really strong defensive coaches do in terms of uh, changing to what any given week is. And Dalvin Tomlinson can do it all. And that's why I think he, if, if I had to guess, I would think he's going to be a priority for them because it's just him and Harrison Phillips. And that interior line, they don't have much. They were patching it together with Jonathan Bullard last year. 
Kyra, Kyrus Tonga uh, was an exclusive rights free agent they're bringing back, but he's just a reserve, uh, just a big run stuffing nose tackle. Um, they need as many interior defensive linemen and frankly, pass rushers too. So um, yeah, when you ask me about the free agents, I think Dalvin Tomlinson's a guy who could be sticking around. So Tomlinson's interesting because he had his, you know, the contract that he signed a couple of years ago had the the void years that were kind of, were kind of coming up on it. And so it was on Monday that that became official. That was the $7.5 million on their books for 2023, uh, hitting their cap this year, just kind of a result of how the, the old regime um, structured that contract. But we were talking again before we started recording. That does not mean much in terms of how negotiations might, negotiations might go. That does not mean the Vikings don't want to still re-sign or can't re-sign Dalvin Tomlinson. Yeah, not at all. That was an automatic trigger that was built into the contract. It was a procedural thing, a really boring accounting thing um, that had to happen because the contract has to void to make these guys free agents in the case, in the event that they don't re-sign either of them. But it is no indication of how they're feeling about these guys. And the only way that that wouldn't have happened is if they would have re-signed them to new contracts before February 20th. And if you look around the league, that's not happening. Uh, deadlines spur actions. And right now deadlines are not until about middle of March for the next league year. And the combine is really a time for front offices to sit down with player agents of their guys. And then you get to talk about the other guys they represent as well. And then you get to meet with other agents as well, even though that's quote unquote tampering. Um, but that happens. Then these discussions are going to kick up next week. And so I'm not shocked that neither of them have new deals. And to reiterate, that's the only way that the news of these contracts voiding uh, wouldn't have come out. Good stuff, Andrew. Final, maybe final thought with with the combine. And again, you know, this is we're two months out from the draft still, but the Vikings, you know, they might pick up some more equity along the way if they if they do, but you know, a draft night trade or you know a, a trade even before that, or if they get some compensatory picks. That said, they're looking at only four picks right now: the first, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. With so much to do right now it just does not seem like much to do it with i mean again the value of sixth and seventh round picks um Quasi's predecessor notwithstanding is pretty debatable and you know those are basically darts on a dartboard a lot of a lot of times but to only have only be sitting there with four picks right now can't make you feel really good if you have so many things you want to do and you have so many potential free agents and you're staring at that cap number right now that's true. Yeah, only four picks. Though Quase traded how many times <laughs> this yes, past time? A lot, um, a lot. So I think the only guarantee and the surest bets that they're not going to stay where they're at, that they are going to try to acquire more assets in this draft. And what is considered uh, a deep draft for some of the positions that they are looking at when you think about corner, edge rusher, even wide receiver. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked to see them move around. One thing we should note regarding their draft capital uh, the Jalen Rager trade was conditional in terms of the next year, 2024, fourth round pick. That actually ended up being a fifth round pick. So the Rager trade didn't end up so bad because he didn't meet a statistical requirement at the end of the year to make that a fourth round uh, compensation for Philly. So at least the Vikings only gave up, I think it was a fifth and maybe a seventh this year. Okay. I can't remember what else it was, but um, there was another late round pick they threw in there. So yeah, it, Blacklock they gave up a sixth rounder for. He didn't. He was a healthy scratch by the end of the year. Um, they traded a fourth this year to move up and get a Caleb Evans last year. And then, as we know, that you know has been hit or miss so far. So they they Quasi himself kind of emptied out the the bag a little bit uh, with some of these draft picks. But the Hawkinson move is 
yeah. the top one that he's made. And obviously with Hawkinson being around this year under contract, it could end up being pretty good for him. But he's going to have to make moves because they need more than four draft picks. Yes, they do. Well, we'll see what they end up doing. Um, a lot of that still to come, and I'm sure we'll talk about it plenty on Access Vikings and this podcast as well. Andrew, enjoy uh, enjoy the rest of the week, and we will uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Good stuff from Andrew as usual. And what happens with the defense in the draft, free agency, and on the field in 2023 has got to be the biggest storyline, the biggest intrigue with the Vikings right now. Because if that defense significantly improves, becomes at least a middle-of-the-pack team, then you can imagine this Vikings team making a return trip to the playoffs. But then and only then could I imagine that. So a lot on Kwesi Adolfo Mensa's plate and a lot on Brian Flores' plate as they prepare for next season. And we should have a Access Vikings podcast coming up next week from the Combine. Not sure what day that will be, but I'm guessing Wednesday next week uh, with, with Ben and Andrew both making trips to Indianapolis to cover the Combine. Let's finish with the cooler. Adrian Heath. Still having to talk about Emmanuel Reynoso, still not seeing Emmanuel Reynoso, the Minnesota Loons coach preparing for the season. They're only three days away from their opener, and he said he talked to family members of Reynoso, talked to his father, talked to his brother last week, trying to get Reynoso to report to the team. He has not been here since preseason training started in early January. He's been sitting out. And uh, he said, hopefully in the next few days, I don't know, hopefully a bit of common sense will prevail and he'll be back here. Still does not shed a whole lot of light on what is going on, but he did say he was asked if, if he thinks Emmanuel Reynoso, clearly the best player for the Loons, two-time All-Star, um, the, the engine that really drives the offense in the midfield, says he thinks Reynoso still wants to be in Minnesota playing for the Loons. Quote, I know he wants to be here. So I don't know. I don't know what to say about this. Other than it's just, it's it's strange. It's we're going on you know many weeks now, the six weeks, seven weeks where Reynoso is just not here. There's been different stages of you know you know Heath being hopeful that Reynoso will show up to now being you know obviously we're three days away from the start of the season. He's definitely not going to be there for the start of the season. Trying to get him here at some point and get him in some sort of shape to help contribute to the team this year. But the saga ongoing. And I'm hoping to ask Adrian Heath about this myself, hoping to have him on a show later this week to set up the season. Again, that season starts on Saturday, the 25th. So not too far away, the Loons preparing for all eventualities and certainly at this point preparing to play without Reynoso, at least in the short term. And we'll see how that goes for them. That will do it for today. Lavelli Neal III should join me on tomorrow's show, I believe, uh, to talk about all sorts of things. Got to pick up Lavelle's brain on a number of different subjects, so I hope you enjoy that. I hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday. We'll all get through this together. Come out on the other side. Spring, not that far away. It's going to be March next week, folks. We're going to do it. We'll get there. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Be back at it again tomorrow.